Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, a twofer today, as always, my good buddy, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? I'm great. It's our first uh, trifecta here. From Yes. Well, joining us is uh, our good friend and more recently our esteemed producer, Mr. Jason Thonchess. How are you doing, sir? I am having a wonderful evening, gentlemen. Thank you. And you are here with us because you helped us very much so secure this week's fantastic guest, didn't you? I did, yeah. And um, a special person, actually, in my musical life. I've told the story many times about how I discovered the Black Crows. I was a hip-hop guy uh, coming in to my high school and college days. Uh, I loved groups like Cypress Hill and Beastie Boys. And um, there is a connection between those two groups that leads to the Black Crows, and that is a gentleman named Eric Bobo. And that is our very special guest this week, and we are happy to have him. He's actually a largely requested guest since uh, the inception of this podcast. Isn't that right, David? Yeah, Jason just took it upon himself to get it set up and hooked up, and so that's why we're having him on, and also a way of thanking him for all of his amazing work on our Patreon and the free house for Moon Crush, which <laughs> yes, was uh, which was which was not small. And he, yeah, that's and a he, nice property. And he had me put up in the uh, in the in the master suite, and uh, I could have just stayed up there the whole time. <laughs> Did you go on the little festival. the little swinging bed out on the balcony? I'm a big boy, Jason. I didn't want to break it. <laughs> I'd have to send you a bill. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm slimming up, but I you mean, would, uh, you are. Yes. You wouldn't get your deposit back, you know. <laughs> That's right. No, but man, we had so much fun, and that house is so conducive to just hanging out. That couch, man, you get on the couch, and that's it. You need a crane to get you out of it. Well, I mean, and, for a couple of months there, you were uh, jet set Hudson, weren't you? You were just. Uh, I have never gone over. to that many big things in like that short of a month. I think I went from February the eighteenth until may the 12th and never went longer than seven days without either having to go somewhere or having johnny cold here or, or going to concerts and i'm going to see panic twice this weekend you know jason and i are here back here toiling away and you're out there being the face you know you're jason's, one of the faces. jason's jason's up there building that empire he is <laughs> so what goes on in the crows community david well, first they did the CMT thing and it finally was played. I haven't watched all of it yet, but I do want to share this because I know there was a lot of criticism of Darius Rucker and, and stuff like that. So my wife was sitting in here and of course I'm watching some like Crows videos or Springsteen videos. And I go, Hey, let me show you this. I want your honest opinion on it. Top to bottom. So I let her listen to, she talks to angels. And then I let her listen to let her, let her cry. And she said, you know, I really like Darius Rucker's voice. And she said, I never appreciated how good of a singer Chris is until I saw somebody else try to sing those songs. And she's like, he just wasn't even in his league. And she said, you could even tell him, like, let her cry that he was having to hold back a lot on it. And she's like, I came away from that with a lot of respect for his singing. She's like, Darius Rucker's a great singer, but man, his range, it's not big. It's, you know, but what he does in that range is great. He's made a lot of money doing it. 
Oh, absolutely. And yeah, you know, he's a, he is a great singer. And from what I understand, he's a very nice guy as well. Yeah. Well, he's a longtime fan. And apparently at some point in the last couple of weeks, all of this was going on. He said that let her cry is essentially a response to she talks to angels. It was on that episode he, that he talks about it when he heard that song, that that was his goal was to write his version of she talks to angels. And that's what let her cry is. And I have to add that hearing Chris's voice on a song like wagon wheel, just amazing. It makes you appreciate how much he can do with that voice. To, to I mean, we we know that he can sing country-ish songs anyway because they they've gone down that lane. But to and I I assume that they recorded that where like the Black Crows played with Darius and then they flipped the whole band and played it. Yeah, but yeah, but a buddy mine was actually at the at the filming of it. Yeah. So, but you when you watch the episode and you're getting the back and forth, you get the side by side sort of perspective of. You know, Chris in his rock and roll voice and then Chris in his country voice and how it's it's the same, but it's not, you know, and it's very good. He sounds great. I always I always thought that uh, Darius Rucker got a lot of stick because, I mean, that guy had to go through the 90s being called Hootie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, but he know? sold 28 million records on the, you know, so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, dude, you can call me Pookie, whatever you want to call me. I do. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you can call me anything you want. I'll answer to it. Sweet cheeks. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Stop bringing out all our private nicknames, David. I mean, you know, uh, well, and speaking of tours. Yes. The, uh, the, the crows will be rolling out as the special guest for the next Aerosmith tour, or at least the last, the, the last farewell. What was the title of the tour? I, I it slipped my mind. It's peace out. Peace out. Peace out. Yeah. Uh, you know, a title they came up with in 35 seconds, it sounds like, but, well, uh, and then they put the whole commercial out of where they realize that's kind of a stupid, <laughs> yeah. and they ship Chris the phone yeah. so Tyler can come up with a new one. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, Hey, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun, fun summer rock and roll tour, but, uh, it's delaying us from getting some of that new music. I feel, look, I don't know if y'all saw it. Eddie Trunk kind of broke it. I guess he was going to have, he asked Chris to come back on. And Chris, I'm paraphrasing here, but it sounded like he said, I'll come back on the fall and we have new music to, to promote. Yes. So maybe we'll get lucky. I hope we do. Because uh, that one little snippet I heard of uh, something new that they were doing in a sound check sounded like it could be interesting. So, uh, so it seems like something to look forward to. And let's um, let's not forget Patreon, because we have some new Patreon members since the last time we were here. That is correct. So our new patron... This time around is uh, Mr. William Adams. We welcome him to the fold with open arms. He's actually going to be joining us for the uh, tie-in to our Alan Paul interview episode where we break down the Allman Brothers Brothers and Sisters record. So he'll be with that little uh, fresh face on one of our uh, episodes. So that should be fun. And I will say this. The last two months, we've killed it on Patreon. I dare anybody to top ours with the giveaways. We have given away the postal service made a lot of money off of seeing Jason. Jason here has been the recipient of some cool things. Yep. I've got a very sweet uh, poster of Eddie, one from Johnny's collection, um, sitting at the piano, uh, which is beautiful. I've got a signed copy of the Morka. I have a signed copy of a Mary, my hope CD, which is uh, rare. So I've got both bass players, primary bass players, if you will, uh, signature on my musical collection, which I love it. That is pretty cool. We do try to keep things interesting. I don't know how we're going to top ourselves, David. I might have to throw you in a box and mail you to somebody one of these days. Well, that's going to cost a bit, buddy. (laughs) Um, So we have been giving away also some awesome posters. 
uh, Ian keeps telling me that they're going to go out one day. Do you have any idea the turmoil it is to mail a 36-inch poster tube? It's a pain in the ass. No, that stuff is... you people. That stuff really is going to come out. It's all pretty much ready to go. And then we have a, some more cool stuff we're going to give away after we get give all of that. But uh, we have a lot of fun on there. That'll be fun. Uh, we do bonus episodes. We do Patreon radio episodes. I just did one on Bruce Springsteen. That was amazing. Oh, he squeezed <laughs> Bruce Springsteen in there. You see that, Jason? You see it? Yeah, I a mean, little pause to see if we would react. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was it was us. it was it was funny when we were down at Moon Crush. Like I'm on the back that you know they have that TV back there on the back, and you can tie into YouTube or whatever. And it's like nine in the morning. I'm watching Springsteen uh, concert clips, and Ray Permi was just like, "Man, he's taking over." <laughs> Shout out to Ray Permi, man. He's an animal. I'm telling you. He and I went riding on bikes, and he had told me he's like, yeah, "I've done 200 mile race, and I just have just now gotten into it." Then within 30 seconds, he's a city block ahead of me. And I'm I'm screaming at him, hey, Lance Armstrong, tone it down a little bit. Um well, he's a you know, he's an athletic man. He is. He is. But yeah, the the Crows tour with Aerosmith, I'm gonna go see him in Nashville uh, in January. Um, I've mentioned that if people want to have some sort of a meetup, that's kind of an easy one for people to get to in the middle of the country. I'm excited about it. I've never seen Aerosmith. So I have this list of people that I haven't seen and I need to check off before they check out. And uh, that's pleasant. Know, well, I'm just saying those guys are old and there's been numerous health issues. It's it's interesting that they're going to take the Crows out because they don't need the Crows to sell a single ticket. This thing was going to sell out regardless. Um, I wonder if it's just it, in some ways kind of an olive branch, you know, because there was some tension with them. But also with with what the crows are playing right now, it's the crowd's gonna go nuts for it at an Aerosmith concert. Yeah, it's gonna be a positive experience, I'm sure. It brings us to our very esteemed guest, Mr. Eric Bobo. Very exciting interview. We had a great time with him, and I'm sure he will definitely be back in the future. It was uh, quite a good conversation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, thanks to Jason for for hooking it up, man. I tell you what, between Jason and uh, Jim Hennessy, we've had some good guests lately. That's true. And I'm glad I'm Jason. I'm glad you could be here because I know that, uh, speaking to Eric Bobo meant a lot to you. So, and, and you really, uh, brought, uh, brought your knowledge to the forefront and, uh, helped us out a little bit. Let's get to Eric Bobo. Get Bobo! All right, everybody, very special day here at State of America. We have a gentleman joining us today that we've wanted to have on since we first started doing this show, and he's been a very big requested guest. He's got a very storied career, a very long resume. Will you please welcome Mr. Eric Bobo? Eric, how you doing? All right. I'm doing good, man. How are you? Very well, very well. Thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed, you know, my time, you know, recording with the with the crows and my experiences it was it was, uh, it was crazy how everything all came about but i guess we'll all get it get into yeah. all of that but it's uh 
it, it's great to be embraced with the 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 Crows community and the fans, and uh, I'm I'm thankful to be a part of it. In all of the podcasts I've listened to and different interviews you've done, I've never heard anyone call you anything but Bobo. Well, can I ask you specifically just about that moniker in the first place? I know that, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your dad and your history because it's somewhat amazing. And I don't think Crow's listeners really understand sort of the virtuosity that you bring to the table. Um, so your dad, you know, had a band, you grew up in a musical family and, and he adopted the Bobo moniker first and, and then you took it later. Can you just kind of explain kind of what that means and how it came to your father and how then you, you picked it up and carried the legacy from there? Well, um, my father was, uh, recording and playing at, from the age of 14. So when, um, he was doing a, a session, uh, with a, a pianist in New York. She just felt that, you know, um, that's not going to work. That doesn't have a real good ring to it. We need to do something about that. Uh, Willie Bobo, Willie Bobo. So from then on, it kind of just stuck. Now, with me, not that I had a choice in the matter at the time, but, you know, I was always referred to as Little Bobo or... Uh, Eric, whatnot. I didn't really like the name at first. I didn't think it had a name, a ring like Willie Bobo. I was the son of, you know, Willie Bobo. So soon I just adopted it and it kind of stuck with me. And here we are. <laughs> so now the other thing that's interesting about your young career. So I can tell you, honestly, when I was five years old, the biggest thing I wanted to do was play with He-Man figures. And, uh, you know, <laughs> plastic, overly muscled people in their underwear was attractive to me. Meanwhile, uh, you're playing music and made your live debut with your dad's band at five years old. Just yeah. what was that like? Well, you know, when I think about it now, it was like um, I don't remember rehearsing for it. I don't remember doing any kind of preparation for it. My dad just knew that I had a little something. I had little rhythm because I was uh, banging on pots and pans and playing a little bit around the house. There was this one day or one night that my dad wanted me to play and how he convinced my mom, I don't know, how he convinced the club owners to let a five-year-old play in a 21 and over jazz club. I don't know. <laughs> how they weren't going to get in trouble from the musicians union. I don't know. But uh, went up there on the stage and did it. And I was very nervous. I was very, very nervous. I remember, I just remember that the minute that I started to play, just all, everything just took over. The, the music just took over. And I had to get up on a stool to, to reach the drums, the timbales, the percussion. So, uh, I remember I played maybe like two songs. People loved it. And, um, there, there it was. That was like the beginning of my career. And, and I knew that I did something I wanted to do. So, like, other than playing with your dad, what ty different types of music and, and bands and artists were you listening to as a young person? Oh, wow. Uh, I was listening to a lot of jazz fusion, Latin jazz. I was influenced with the music that my brother was listening to. He's 14 years older than me. Is like Earth, Wind, Fire and the, the, you know, funky stuff, you know, Cool in the Gang, Parliament, Funkadelic, all of that stuff. So. I was just, it was a constant thing in my house, like really just uh, real musical. 
you you ultimately ended up kind of taking yeah. over your your father's band years later. It was scary because uh, for me, being thrust into that position at a young age, I was fifteen. It was really uh, messed up. You know, uh, just playing all different types of you know music and hearing that. I knew that I could do it, but it was very scary because you know my father had just passed. A lot of people, you know, it's not easy to fill those shoes. You know, it's almost like I, I didn't have that protector shield. You know, my dad was, you know, always very, you know, protective of, of me and what was out there. So he made sure that I wasn't really exposed to the bad stuff. And when he passed, uh, you know, it was like I, I almost felt like beside my family that not too many people wanted to see me kind of succeed. So it was kind of like scary at the same time as it was exciting because I was fulfilling my dad's legacy, which is something that I wanted to do. I felt needed to be done. But again, I was 15 years old doing this, still playing in these 21 and over jazz clubs, still trying to really get my respect and my feet wet. And it was really scary. So I gave it a go. I, I, I played with my dad's band for about a year and a half. Happy pass. So then how do you go from doing that to Ad Rock calling you to ask you to play his wedding? <laughs> well, um, the crazy thing is, uh, the crazy thing is that I was doing a, a jazz uh, thing at a, a friend's nightclub thing. He had like a, he was a promoter. His name was Matt Robinson, uh, brother of Holly Robinson, uh, the actress. Oh yeah. Holly Robinson and, Pete. Exactly. So yeah. her brother, Matt Robinson, he was a, a, a big promoter in L.A. And uh, I was uh, playing with my little trio, little quartet, you know, in the little chill room. And then he had the other room that was more the DJ. So one day he calls me up and he asks, you know, he said, yo, um, I got something for you. Um how would you like to 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 do the wedding for Ad Rock or BC Boys? First of all, I'm like, I was a big BC Boy fan. I thought he was bullshitting me. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? He says, yo, they're interested in you doing the wedding. I said, what do you mean the wedding? Like the entertainment, like afterwards, upon you know, it wound up that I did everything from like the wedding march. The whole the whole music was me <laughs> and then my, my 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 trio. So I thought I still thought he was bullshitting. He says, All right, I'm gonna have him call you. But then he calls me. I'm tripping out because I'm like, this is King Ad Rock, Beastie Boys, big fan. I'm bugging out. So uh I have a meeting with him, um uh, his sister, Ricky Powell, a few other peeps. And breaking down everything of what they wanted for the wedding. Did the wedding out there in Santa Barbara somewhere. Uh, a lot of people were there. I mean, River Phoenix, Rest in Peace, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, a bunch of, you know, celebrities, you know. And I was uh, the entertainment. And uh, after that, he's like, uh, all right, well, you know, we get back on tour, you know, we should get together and do a little jam. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool, bet. That turned into three months later, I get a call from Mike D., Asking me if I was interested in doing the the third leg of the Check Your Head tour, U.S. tour. Wow! 
So the thing was that they were having percussionist problems. They had two other percussionists prior to me. And I guess they were up to their wits end. And they had seen me play drums because I did drums at the wedding. They didn't see me play percussion. So I had to audition. I had auditions, but I made sure I knew every song. No matter what they threw at me, I was going to know it. So and that's what happened. I went in there. Mario C was in there. MCA, rest in peace, was in there. Mike D was in there. And they just kept on just playing songs on playing everything. And when I left, I left with the itinerary for the for the tour. <laughs> that that was really a groundbreaking record because yes. you know live instrumentation on a hip hop record, you know, and all of that. So bringing those those songs from Check Your Head to Life with the live instrumentation and the percussion and everything that comes with it, what was that like? Well, you know, I think from what I was doing previously and from learning from my dad and and doing a Latin jazz thing and and improvisation. I, I knew that, you know, I could put my little spin on everything and and kind of make it my own. I wasn't listening when I was learning the songs. I wasn't listening to what the other percussionists were playing. I was listening to the song and what the song, what the song mean and what am I going to do to to kind of add to it. So in, in, in a way, I was like blocking out the percussion that was already in there saying I can do this, I can do this in this part, this rhythm here. So I was kind of preparing that. And they they didn't tell me I had to play a certain way or I had to copy exactly what was there. They just let me go for it. And the rest was history because then it was going into the studio after that and doing your communication. And wow. I, I didn't I didn't think that they were going to ask me to do be on a record to be honest mm -hmm. so when that that call came in saying we're going to do it and we're going to do it in new york so pack a pack a bag pack a bag of luggage because it's going to be gone for a month you talk about an album that like is one of the most iconic albums of the 90s i mean you know i one of my favorite youtube clips to watch is that song is uh sabotage being performed on david letterman yeah i mean like just took the top off that place and then that just was a special record and a special time. I'm sure to be around that band because I, I think that's when like they were like their that and Paul's boutique. I think was like their creative peak. I mean, I I think with with uh, ill communication, I think that that was the album that the BCs did in the shortest amount of time. We completed that record in about six months. They were used to taking their time with it, but. I think that we were such in a well-oiled machine at that point. We got that very quickly. When we went in to jam with each other, ideas were just flowing. It just was flowing. So I think that you were able to hear that on the communication on the album. And then when we went out on tour to tour for it, I think we were like really unstoppable at that point as far as performance-wise, song, sound. Those, sh thing. those shows got intense. Yeah, like I said, for that for that period of time, uh, the BC Boys were unstoppable. I mean, one of the coolest parts of Ill Communication and a lot of other Beastie Boys records are those instrumental interludes. I mean, they even did a compilation of it called "The In Sound from Way Out," and I just I, I thought that was such a such a cool highlight to a lot of those records. How much input did you have into into the songwriting of of, of that kind of stuff? Well, that was the thing. Like you know. 
we have stuff like sambosa and some and chambala and, you know things like that we were all jamming in there together uh we all had our ideas of what we we're gonna play you know i let me add this i'm gonna add this i'm gonna put this here everything was very really free flowing you know and even to the little jam that we did uh that they named uh, bobo on the corner Which struck me by surprise when I finally heard the last, you know, the final album and everything. That wow, you know, this was really cool. That was just a jam. That was a long jam that we we're doing. And somehow Mario made that into like what what it is on the record. We were just really flowing with ideas. So uh, we're very much involved. You know, they they really like let let me contribute uh, a, a bit more than I thought that they would. So how do you run across the Black Crows? Because it would have been around this time frame. Well, this happened um, from the story that I heard. Chris was uh, watching Saturday Night Live and uh, Cypress was performing. And this is the show. This is the time that we got banned, you know, uh, from Saturday Night Live. This particular show. But he saw it. And he contacted Cypress management. I got the call from Sendog from Cypress. He says, hey, yo, um, the Black Crows are looking for you. I'm like, the Black Crows? You mean like uh, the hard to handle, the hard to handle Black Crows? He says, yeah, <laughs> you know. He says, all right. So I call up management, and then they, uh, they give uh, Chris Robinson my number, and Chris calls me. Yo, man, you know, I think you're playing. I think, you know, we're recording a record. Why don't you come down and see, you know, see what's up, see, you know, jam a little bit. I'm like, all right, cool <laughs> deal. Let's do this. So uh, I went down to the studio and I was in there for a month with them. And these sessions that were recorded, these were the sessions that got scrapped. Tall. So tall you're in album. the tall sessions, yeah. I'm in, I'm on tall. The the tall sessions, really, I didn't realize how much these sessions were kind of talked about as far as with the Black Crows fans. It didn't it didn't dawn on me. I mean, it's like it's even becoming more so now, you know, because, you know, of podcasts like this, you know, other fans that have have commented on it. But there were a lot of things that were going on, you know, and and you're talking about. Rock and rock and roll is a whole other different thing, you know, and the way that they do it is a whole other different thing. I mean, in the studio was all like the lights and the 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 posters on the wall and uh Johnny having his own like bar in there and it has a neon sign that says Johnny's Tiki Hut. That's where he would go and he would be serving drinks. I'm looking around like, holy shit, you know what I mean? And uh, Chris had a lot of friends that would come through. And his friends were just like, not just ordinary. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, you know, you get people like Dan Aykroyd that come down to the studio, you know, just 
boom, you know, oh yeah, Dan Aykroyd's coming down to the studio. I'm like, holy shit, you know, inside I'm like, man, this is crazy. And he comes down, we're there, it's a break between, you know, doing doing uh, any recording. So it's myself, I, I called Send Dog from Cypress to come down here. I'm like, yo, bro, you need to come down here to the studio. They got everything here. I'm like, I was like, you know, excited. I said, like, you need to come down here. And he's like, because Chris said, yeah, invite the guys here too. I got good, I got weed too. I'm like, <laughs> hey, you know. So uh Send Dog, myself, Chris, uh, an ex uh an ex player from the Chicago Bears, and he was wearing his championship Super Bowl championship ring. I'm trying to remember his name, and Dan Aykroyd. And just to be there in a conversation with Dan Aykroyd, listening to him, smoking with him, with him, we were all right there. It was like surreal. Like this is this is a whole other different universe here. You know, it, it was really crazy that people of that caliber would come down to the studio and were uh, big fans of the Crows. You know? It seems like that was a very cool aspect of it, but it, it, in hindsight, it, it might seem like that's kind of what did those sessions in and why they scrapped them in the end. Cause it was a, a, a this event as opposed to just strictly recording an album. I, I will agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, those sessions, uh, you know, they great music came out of them, but uh, I guess the discipline maybe wasn't there, you know, as maybe before or, when America came in, I guess that's why uh, Jack Joseph Puig came came in. And I don't know if it was the label's idea or it was the band's idea themselves. Uh, but Tall was really produced by Chris. And he was at the helm. And him and Rich, they really were, you know, seeing as eye to eye. You know, he was just going with the flow. And, and Tall was uh, Chris... Chris record. Well, let me ask you this. We've we've heard that like during the night, Chris was there and in the mornings, Rich would come in and and do his thing. Were, were you in the studio a lot with Rich? Uh, I was in the studio a lot with Rich when he would come to the main sessions. Uh, was, that at, he, was that at Conway? There, yeah, he was there quite a bit. Like, you know, a lot of times, like when we were doing tall, you know, we were playing together. We were playing as a I guess as a band recording together, mm-hmm. and 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 Chris would be doing like his scratch vocals or whatnot. And there were times that I did talk to, to you know Rich and everything like that. But he was in and out a little bit, you know. More the sessions that I was a part of, which were basically, I was in there for like a month. We were recording this for a month, and it was like damn near every day except for maybe the weekend, you know. But the session started at 6 p.m. and ended to la- ended at 6 a.m. Mm. So these were these were crazy hours, you know what I mean? So Rich would try to get his stuff done with the band early on because I don't think he was trying to be there at no two something in the morning, two or three in the morning to be right. recording. Well, we've always heard Rich is a morning person. So yeah. um and <laughs> You know, and is a little, I think maybe a little more structured. When you were in there, 
this is what I'm curious about. So let's say Gone, the song Gone, which yeah. when you drop the needle, Eric Bobo is the first person you hear on this album. Yeah. Um, so do they say, all right, do they play you the song and then you like, Hey, I can do this. Or is it just kind of like, here's kind of the groove and and let's, let's put you on top of it. Or is it kind of a mixture of both? Um, Chris wanted to put me on top of it, you know, and I guess that, that was all mutually agreed, you know what I mean? And, and then Rich would come in, you know, with the guitar riff. And I noticed in listening to this subject, like, their songs do have like a a, a build a build up. Some of their songs is like you hear the guitar strum in, and then the beat will come in. You know, it it kind of builds. So he he was looking. I think Chris was looking like on the Santana ish mm-hmm. tip. And yeah, I it think, definitely has that vibe on a few songs. And and and, and he, I, I think it also at this point they were you know and. and I, I, I say this because uh, with Steve Gorman's book, he was kind of like looting that they were starting to like jam out stuff a bit more instead of just the songs. Mm-hmm. This was kind of like the beginnings of that. So uh, I heard the basic structure of the song and then I went in there and I just, I, I, I played it. So I was playing it with them. You know, mm-hmm. I really didn't have to do, too many overdubs and you know unless it was something i couldn't i mean i couldn't octopus it you know what I mean? yeah well um you know that that the band was clicking on all cylinders at that time and i tell people from 92 to about 97 i don't know if there was a tighter band you know they were just on fire live and one of the additions that came on right before southern harmony was eddie harsh they literally all say to a person he's the most talented musician you know they've ever shared the stage with i can imagine you and him had some fun together we did we did um he was he was on point he was always on point i mean musically he was like a genius he was really a gorilla glue yeah uh as as far as you know musically you know melodically and things like that he was he was the fucking man and again i didn't i didn't realize like being in the studio with them at the time like this was like a classic lineup that i was playing with you know mm-hmm. and, and mark ford there you know johnny cole like these are like some cats and i'm like I, I was i had never been a part of any kind of sessions like that one of the things i think is neat because ed harsh comes from more of a blues r&b background and he played with james cotton he's played with all kind <laughs> of people and then you come from this little more kind of a, a Latin uh, percussion style background. And then obviously you're instrumental in, in two of the biggest hip hop groups at the time, you know, you're, you're playing with them. And that's one of the, th- the good things I think about a morgue. It's kind of like a, a jambalaya or a stew or something. There's all these little ingredients. And if you listen to some of the tall sessions, those ingredients aren't there because it, the album was never fully realized. And you realize that, a lot of that makes such a difference. And I was going back the other day and I was specifically listening to your parts, trying to pick out, you know, your parts on everything. And it just, it's kind of like it took a, a, a four-star meal and it made it a five-star meal with the little, the little add-ons that, that you had on there. It seems like 
this is something you're really proud of in your career because like you 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 told us earlier this wasn't the kind of music you were necessarily listening to a lot at the time and then somebody bring like them they bring you into their world and it sounds like they fully embraced you uh when you got there uh, that had to be that had to be a really cool thing because they appreciated what you've done that's why they brought you in you know because they heard you on other things that had to be pretty cool for you to spread your wings into something that you weren't necessarily familiar with. You know, my, my dad always, you know, told me universe, uh, music is a universal language and it's important to be able to appreciate all different genres of music. You have your favorites, you have your go-tos, but you can never just say nah, you know, and not listen to what the music has to offer. I had known about the Black Crows. Of course, they were all over, you know, MTV, you know, from from the hard to handle to, you know, Southern Harmony, all that stuff is huge. So the minute that I was told that they were wanting me, I was kind of like, wow, you know, it's cool on, on one hand that they were able to see outside the box of what I was showing at the time with playing with Beasties and, and Cypress. But they went a little further, you know what I mean? And and those guys are not just going to pick just any musicians for their project. So I felt really honored and, and, and blessed to be able to be recognized to, to, to take on that big of a, 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 of a role. And during this time, you know, I was hanging out a lot with Chris, going over, hanging out at, at, at his house, talking music, listening to stuff. And I was really just trying to get into the vibe of what they had because it was different from me, but it wasn't that it was so foreign that I couldn't get it. And um, yeah, this, I, the, the thing that, that I guess attracted Chris is when Cypress, we did the, the Saturday Night Live bit and uh, the energy, I guess, you know, he was attracted to that. And uh, that's when our DJ, you know, kind of came and threw down my percussion stuff. And I remember one of the first days that I, uh, first times I talked to Steve Gorman, he told me, yo, I wanted to kick that guy's ass, whoever threw down your percussion thing. I think that was really fucked up. <laughs> that was my intro to Steve Gorman. And I said, all right, man, he's kind of like on my side. You know? Right. <laughs> so they did really embrace me and again i didn't go in there trying to step on anybody's toes and say well you know i'm i'm already doing this whatever like that i got in where i fit in you know and i just played my position as a fellow drummer what do you think of his playing because he's got a swing to him that's hard to replicate and he hits very hard well you know in preparation for this i just re-listened to the whole mork album and steve is funky his bass bass drum foot is on he's locked he doesn't have to do all these crazy fills and stuff the fills that he does he makes them count it's about pocket and groove for 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 gorman and and listening to that record making me like okay I want to now go and start listening to the other Crows records just to single him out because 
it, it's almost like I, I mean I was locked in with them during those sessions, but now years later, now re-listening and I really like hearing him. He is solid, definitely one one of the the the, the best drummers in this genre. Later on, a few years after this, you know, they toured with Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin and did a live album, and he played mm-hmm. all those John Bonham parts. Yeah. Go listen to uh, In My Time of Dying. It's That's Steve Gorman. It's a Steve Gorman. He, it's his album. You know, like we talk about certain Black Crows. Oh, that's a Mark Ford album, or that's a Rich album, you know, where they play. That live album, you know, filling in for John Bonham, those are about the biggest shoes there is. But he's also a great dude. We've had him on here and, and and have corresponded with him, you know, a decent amount. And he seems like a guy that'd be fun just to waste some time with in the studio because he's so funny. He was funny. He was always, you know, kind of, you know, cracking, you know, little jokes and stuff like that. And like I said, man, he was just a, 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 a cool guy. And I mean, I was excited to like really read his book and get some insight on those Morga sessions those solo sessions from from the band's perspective, from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Because I just came in and just jumped in like, boom, you know, coming in, let's jam for a little bit. Me just coming in to jam for a little bit turned out to me being in there with them for a month, a whole solid month, right. you know. And Chris wanted me to go out on the road and stuff like that. And had I not been already tied up, I would have gone. Mm-hmm. I would I, I would have gone. I had really a good time with, with with those guys. Was there any when Ackroyd was in there? Was there any mention of him playing harmonica or something on the song? Because I mean, he's a he's a good musician in his own right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he just came in just for the visit. I mean, he never went anywhere near the microphone. Uh, I, I mean, he was just there in conversation, uh, and Chris never mentioned that. Um, he would play, but that would have been pretty dope if he if he did. Did you play any role in Chris Trujillo getting that gig to tour with him for America? Um, no, no. Uh, but when you know, I got a chance to 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 meet and talk to him afterwards, and he was like really, you know, appreciative of my work, and you know, him having to play my parts you know what i mean and and he had a good you know he had a good vibe and everything like that i don't know how he vibed with the band you know as a toured and everything mm-hmm. like that but i i'm sure that it was some stuff uh i guess a tough role to, to fill you know because chris really 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 wanted wanted me to 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 to, to go out i had less time when Amorka came along because Cypress were getting ready to go on tour. I think it's Cypress or Beasties because during this time I was doing both Beastie Boys and Cypress. Well, if the, if the and, timeline's right, you would have been the, cause the Amorka session started in like May and that was right when ill communication came out was May yes. 94. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So this was all during all this time. And, um, Chris wanted me to go out on the road Chris actually lived up the road from Ad-Rock. And I remember, you know, him always telling me that he was telling Ad-Rock, yo, man, I'm taking Bobo. I'm going to, you know, and Ad-Rock was like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You know what I mean? I did get a chance to perform with them, though, 
one time. And that was at CBGB's in New York. <laughs> That's a hell of a time. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And and you want to know who my plus one was? was Who's that? My plus my no, my plus one was Dave Grohl. <laughs> I brought Dave Grohl with me. Nice. Wow. Yeah, because uh uh it was around the time of the uh MTV video awards mm-hmm. and BCs had performed and that was the time that they were accepting an award on behalf of Nirvana. And we were staying at the same hotel. And I told him, I said, yo, man, I'm going to, you know, jam with the crows tonight. When, what are you doing? He says, nothing. I said, all right, I'm hanging with you. All right, cool. So I told Chris, I said, yo, man, I'm coming. I'm bringing Dave Bro. And I don't know if they had, Chris was kind of funny, like with the, the grunge kind of thing, you know, the, the sound that was taking over. I mean, he was like, it's cool, but, you know, it ain't, it ain't that shit, you know, but I told him I'm bringing Dave Grohl. <laughs> so uh, he comes with me, TVs. I remember going up to the front and said, yeah, you know, I'm on the left, and, you know, and I said, yeah, I got a plus one. And he looks up at my plus one, and he says, I know exactly who you are. He said, you guys go right on ahead. <laughs> and, yeah, so uh that was the night i jumped with uh i played with uh black crows well around that same time you were kind of involved in something that's very big in the black crows lore they've been their history that was the foam foot gig at the troubadour a bunch of covers and various different musicians joining in do you, do you have any memories of that oh yeah yeah first of <laughs> all first of all i tripped out when chris had said yo man we're gonna do this we're gonna do this thing i want you to do this thing with me you know we're gonna do this jam and just you know whatever and you know called us phone foot you know i said okay i'm i'm da- at that point i was like i'm down i'm down so we rehearsed it became bigger than what i thought that thought that initially was you know i'm like holy shit like you know we i remember we the one gig that we did and it was packed it was i mean it was star studded the fact that, you know, I mean, I was uh, surrounded by all these iconic musicians. I felt like, man, how lucky am I right now? I mean, this is what what a thing to put onto the resume, you know what I mean? And not even realizing how important that would be to the to the Crows history and 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 all of that stuff. Because years later I was like hearing about phone foot and people talking about phone foot and um, the recording, the you know, the show, the one show, bootleg, and all this comes. I'm like, holy shit, you know what I mean? Is <laughs> you know, but the experience was great. Like you know, it's like one of those one night only kind of things that you never thought would happen, and you're just damn glad that it did happen. Well, you got to play with David Crosby. You know, that's something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that was incredible to me. I'm like, oh my God, these people are coming up to jam with us and everything. And Chris is just like a uh superior showman and singer and everything like that. So it was just a fun time, man. It was fun. And also at that time you were working with Cypress Hill and uh you guys are actually coming up on the anniversary of the Black Sunday record, right? Yes, yes, thirty thirty years. I mean, no, uh, no. July 20th, we're going to commemorate that with uh, playing with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, playing that whole album in its entirety. 
and it's coming out sick. It's, it's going to be. All right. How, how did that come to be? You talking about marrying different genres of music. That is as <laughs> far apart as humanly possible. And are you guys the first going to be the first hip hop band to do that? Um, well, the, 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 the way that it all came about, I would say that the whole idea first sparked from when uh, there was an episode of The Simpsons, and it was basically uh, like a Homer Palooza. It was a playoff of the Lollapalooza thing. And, and in this episode, there was uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Sonic Youth, Peter Frampton, you know, Cypress Hill, you know. So it was the gag and the little the part in there where it's like, who ordered the 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 orchestra who ordered the symphony orchestra cypress hill is it you you know and it was like the london symphony orchestra so that was the seed then a few years back maybe right before the pandemic stuff social media cypress hill london symphony orchestra kind of going back and forth and like let's try to make this a reality let's try to do this you know and maybe uh do a performance It, it got to be news so Upon now 30 years, you know, like, okay, let's revisit this orchestra thing and maybe do the whole album with the orchestra. The album is dark anyway. Let's give it a go. And now we're actually going to do it. And we're we're actually doing it a few times, but the first one is going to be with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra. I don't know if we're the first one to do it. I think Wu-Tang... As might have done it. I think Nas did it. But I don't think their albums take to like a really dark score like how Black Sunday is. I mean, especially how things are coming out. The stuff that I've heard that they've done is like, oh my God. You know, Cypress Hill and Tuxedos. <laughs> That's going to be crazy. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. Now, you also did some work with uh, 311 a little bit too. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, yes. I played on the Transistor album. Oh, you just you just you just made Ian's day. Yes. That's why I brought <laughs> it up. That I think that that record uh, when you talk about, you know, having diverse influences on an album. Um I mean it's a double album. It's 21 tracks on that, but it's so there's so many elements going. I don't think 311 gets enough credit for what they do because I think they kind of got pigeonholed into a certain thing when they were popular, very popular with uh, the album that came before that. Right. And they kind of got written off a little bit, but they're they're very musical guys, and and they definitely you know blend a a, a definite uh, genre through there. Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, we had brought them out on the road. Um, it was uh, Cypress Hill, Three Eleven, I think the Far Side, mm. um, and they were they were on that record, you know, that featured a song Down, mm-hmm. and I was like blowing up, you know, and then. I would, they would ask me a couple of times to come up and jam with them, you know, on stage. So I did that. And then we kind of got a cool relationship. And then he says, yo, man, you, you know, I'm going to call you up to be on the record, you know, on the next record. Time went on and, you know, kind of forgot about it. And all of a sudden I got the call and, and went down to the studio and then I knocked out a couple of songs on the, on the record. And, and it was great. And again, you know, Good musicians, you know, Peanut, bass player, Chad on drums. I mean, these guys, you know, again, I'm I'm a musician first and foremost. This is why I grew up playing with musicians. It wasn't about machines or anything like that. So 
getting a chance to do that, I mean, I feel right at home and I'm glad for the opportunity. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I got a chance to perform one of the songs with them live one time. So it was dope. Which one? Uh, Stealing Happy Hour. Oh, the closer yeah that's a great yeah, tune <laughs> I, I played on that one uh you know what i something that uh from from you guys i was listening uh to a previous podcast you guys had and you were ranking the albums and stuff like that and you talk about different songs and everything and one of you brought up the song downtown money waster mm-hmm. um i played a tub on that song <laughs> Now, you mean like an actual tub? An actual tub. <laughs> All of a sudden, I come into the studio <laughs> and, you know, it's a, you know, got this song, you know, and, you know, I want you to play play this. And I'm looking down, I'm like, what do you want? You want me to play this tub? He says, yeah, you know, just tap on it. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, and so I had like a little quarter. And I was playing the tub. I'm like, I've never played a tub before in my life. This is hey, like, you're the best tub player I've ever heard. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, come on. I'm like, this reminded me of like when you're banging on the desk, you bang a beat. <laughs> so, so it was like that. I mean, and it was the most different song. I don't remember. We didn't. I don't remember doing that for the. I don't know if we did that for the tall record. I think that was a Morica record. Well, there's there's kind of two versions of it. The one that made it to a Morica is a little more subdued. There's a, a fully electric version of it as well, which in the fully electric version, was that on tall or is that something that was like bootlegged? Uh, that was, it came later. It was part of uh, the band sessions, actually. Okay. 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 Uh, was there ever any discussion of you coming in? For the for the next record, or or did you kind of lose touch with the guys after that? Um, I, no, there was never any talk for me to come into the next record. I think that you know when they settled and with their percussionist, maybe that he would go ahead and do it. Uh, at this time, I mean, I was I was all over the place, so you know things got really, really, really busy. So it would have been hard to kind of pull away from that. It would have been great. I would have definitely loved to love to do it, but I think that. For my for having the experience that I did with the Crows on on both the Morica and Tall record, I mean, and for those to be important little points in in, in the Black Crows history, I'm I'm cool with that. There is a song on the next record, and Ian, see if you agree with me, called "It's Only Halfway to Everywhere." I think you would tear that song up. It is funk. Uh, and uh, when we've talked to the backup singers, they've always said that's their favorite one to go to. Don't you think, Ian? He could yeah. he could be all over that. Yeah, that has your name on it for sure, man. Yeah. You know, well, I've you know, I'm really trying to see you know the crows when they come into town. I know they're going to be on tour with Aerosmith, but I really would love to 
to to catch up and 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 see him. I'm uh, there was a I mean from from the Marcus there was a little break and then Chris was doing his Brotherhood the you know and I got a chance and I reconnected with him there and I did some jamming and stuff like that. We didn't really record seriously, but reconnected with him there and this is when he was uh, he was with. Um, Gold, Goldie Hawn's daughter. Kate Hudson. Yeah, Kate Hudson. Remember, like, it was after a show or rehearsal or something like that. She said, all right, come on over for dinner. So uh, you go over <laughs> to, to the house, and there she is. And she's trying to figure out what to cook for dinner, so she calls up her mom. I'm watching her like, Mom, uh, guys over, what should I make? And I'm like, talking to Goldie Hawn again. I'm like, and this guy never ceases to amaze me. But at that show... At that show, uh, again, the celebs came out. Brad Pitt, when he was with Jennifer Aniston, Benicio Del Toro, all these people. I'm like, people love not only the Crows, but Chris Robinson. Yeah. They, they love him. They love him. And he just got he just got that thing. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's crazy. As we kind of wrap up here, I just want to ask you quickly, you've got some solo work and some side projects going on. Uh, yes. empires and um you, you want to just kind of speak to the listeners on what you got going on that's out there that they should check out um well you know most of with cypress celebrating again the 30th year uh anniversary of the black sunday record um uh new music i have a project called rhythm machine that uh album is going to be coming out in uh july i have some singles out right now kind of like on the instrumental soul funky tip Empires, uh, another project with my my partner Stu Bangers, and working on a, a tribute album to my dad, doing some Latin jazz stuff, and you know, other things on the horizon. You know, I mean, I do the podcast with uh, Be Real, and that's weekly, the Doctor Green Thumb show. Yeah, I wonder you know. what that's about. Um, well, uh, <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, just trying to keep, stay creative, continue to enjoy music and continue to do what I do and, you know, and continue to do stuff like cool stuff like this, man. Thank you guys for even having me. Well, Eric, we weren't blowing smoke at you when, uh, no pun intended, when, um, <laughs> when, when we told you. Outside of the band, you really have been one of our most requested guests. And, you know, and you were talking about kind of reconnecting with the importance of Tall and Amorca in the Black Crows community. I mean, your your additions to that music, it, it's it's not the same without you. And, you know, we kind of joke that the Black Crows fan base can be a little fickle at times and, and, and self-loathing. I have never heard an ounce of negativity thrown your way or thrown toward your playing on those albums. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Um, I'm really, again, I'm grateful for the community for appreciating what I did uh, on those records. And I really have much respect for for the fans because I know that, you know, they they have made all this stuff happen for the Crows, all of us. You know, we have to give thanks to them. Uh, and I know that they're very, they can be very fickle and, you know, very meticulous on who is actually on the record, what's, who's doing what, you know, what's their favorite song and everything like that. I'm, I'm just happy that I was able to contribute a little bit 
of what I do to something that uh, the fans consider to be, you know, one of their favorite works. You know, I listen to, you know, your guys' uh, show on the, the top ranked and to have Amorica even in the top four is very big, especially for a uh, group that has many albums as the Crows do. It just lets you know that you know those songs will stand the test of time. If if there was ever if if they had decided, well, we're gonna do the Morica album straight up and down, like perform that, I I'm putting it out there. I would love to be a part of that. That record for me, that really opened up doors for me in a lot of ways musically as well. That wow, he can really play different genres and make it work, make it fit, you know? So, um, again, thanks to all the, the the fans out there that, you know, have enjoyed what I did and what I contributed to the albums, and um, thank you. All right, so Eric, give us a song to play off of Empires that we're going to play, and give us a song off of Morka you want us to play. All right. Wow. A song from uh, Empires I would like to, to, to play is a song called The Reset. And I choose that song because, uh, I mean, that album was done right in the middle of, uh, of, of the pandemic. And I think that we've all had to do a reset of how we go about our lives, how we go about, you know, going forward. You know, we're a different place than where, where we were at pre-pandemic. And it's not a bad thing to have to reset and kind of like, you know, readjust. I like you to play that song from Empires to go out uh, from the Mork album, play nonfiction. Nobody's going to complain with that. Eric, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, this is a fun interview. Uh, it's nice getting to know you a little bit. And uh, we will throw it to our producer, Jason. Stay tall, everyone. what I mean, I've enjoyed my time on earth, nothing better than the first time though, everything that I've done, seen and tasted, all the things I know, life is good as far as I know, scotching a Cubano, got a Mexicano here feeling like I'm hitting the lotto, oh, cruise control, slow roll auto, fools don't really know where I go with it after the bottle, turn me up with that good life, coming from the hood life, I can tell you I deserve every morning and every good night, sleep tight while waking don't. Only one I can control is myself And that alone is a full time Cause I'm a fool of time But a good man's a good man A choice is there for you and I Oh, we don't need to tell I feel the hood vibe pumping through my veins And that'll make you boogie again Show me how you dug it Southside club at 6 trade while you bugging Got that positive shit in me No way it gon' stop We be trying to lead the block Teach them how to split the vibe And remember that a triumph never comes without a fall To the point I wish me bad 
just to grow a little more I'm just in another zone Even though they want control God pays his place Ain't no way you'll take it home I'm just laughing in the back While I'm blowing up some smoke Trying to have a good time While I'm waiting on the go Yo
Yeah. 